What's going on out there, Bulls Nation? This is the Bloody Horns Podcast brought to you by your host, Justin. And I'm coming to you live after another pathetic showing by your Chicago Bulls. You know, tonight tonight was horrible. You know, I've, I'm going to have a lot to say about that. But I'm going to open with, you know, everybody's talking about this roster and what we can do to improve and what we can do, go, what we can do going forward, what trades we can make. So let's just talk about some options out here and see what they could really do if there's anything that's really going to change the trajectory of this season. Because, you know, a lot of people are saying, be patient, wait for Lonzo Ball to come back. This team's going to be different when Lonzo comes back. I don't know if y'all are watching these games, man, but Lonzo Ball's a fantastic player. Lonzo Ball's great. I love Lonzo Ball. He is not fixing this team. If Lonzo Ball is able to take this team that we're watching right now, and turn them into a top four team in the East, then Lonzo Ball is the greatest fucking point guard of all time. Because there's a lot wrong with this team. Getting Lonzo back will help, but getting Lonzo back ain't going to fix everything. You know what I mean? So let's let's just talk about what options the Bulls might have going forward. You know, I saw, I saw on Twitter today they were talking about how good of a steal Jeremy Grant was for the Blazers. And that could have been the Bulls, man. That could have been the Bulls. I remember last year we were in rumors for him, but we didn't want to give up Patrick Williams. And I'm on record last year saying I didn't want to give up Patrick Williams for Jeremy Grant. And looking back now, man, that was a mistake. Looking back now, they should have just given up Patrick Williams for Jeremy Grant. He's playing fantastic in Portland. He's understanding his role. He's helping them win. He's a true two-way player. He would have been an awesome fit in Chicago. And the sad thing is, Last year at the deadline, Detroit was demanding Patrick Williams back, and that's why we couldn't get a deal done. But you look at what Portland gave up for him. We could have had Jeremy Grant this offseason without giving up Patrick Williams. Portland gave up a 2025 first and a couple of second-round picks for Patrick Williams. The Bulls could have done that deal in their sleep. The Bulls could have easily made that deal happen for whatever reason. They they either didn't know that the price tag was that low for Jeremy Grant or they just weren't in on it or they didn't have the cap space to make it happen. But I think when you look back at their offseason, that's one that we're going to look at. We're going to say, damn, that was a mistake because Jeremy Grant, he could fix a lot wrong with this roster right now. He's a good shooter. He's a good defender. He provides length on the perimeter. He's a good stretch four. He'd play good next to DeMar, Zach Levine, Vooch, everything like that. So that's a move. Where, you know, the Bulls, you know, looking, hindsight's twenty twenty, but man, last year when they had the chance to get him and give just give up Patrick Williams, that would have been a deal that could have turned some tables for the Chicago Bulls. Looking elsewhere in the league, you know, there's names that are being floated that are available. Obviously, Jay Crowder, everybody knows he's been available for a while. Um, to make the salaries match, I'm pretty sure they could do something like Kobe White and Derek Jones Jr. to make the salaries match. That might be something to look at, but does that does that improve the team? Yeah. Does it fix the team? No. We're still going to run into a lot of the same issues. Um, so that's an all right one, but doesn't do much to move the needle. Joe Harris, eh. We need shooting desperately. I just don't know what contracts you got to do. You know, you'd probably have to throw Alex Caruso in that trade. And I'm not willing to give up Alex Caruso just to get back Joe Harris. I'm sure the Brooklyn Nets would do that deal in a heartbeat. Alex Caruso is kind of exactly what they're missing, uh, defensive-minded guard. But for the Bulls, that one doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then you saw rumors today that the Bulls are interested in Duncan Robinson. 
I would fucking riot if they traded for Duncan Robinson. Duncan Robinson is terrible, guys. Duncan Robinson, in theory, he's a good three-point shooter. We've seen his percentages drop the last couple of years as guys kind of figure out how to guard him. And he's the worst defender in the NBA. There's a reason he can't get on the court for the Miami Heat. And they're kind of like the Bulls where they're desperately in need of three-point shooting. And he can't even see the court for them. So not only do I just not want to see it happen from a fit standpoint, but when you look at what they would have to give up, to make the the contracts work, it would have to be like Patrick Williams and Kobe White, or Patrick Williams and uh, Alex Caruso, or Alex Caruso and Kobe White. Like either way you shake it, I wouldn't even do Kobe White straight up for Duncan Robinson if the contracts worked out, which they don't. But I'm just saying, I wouldn't even do that. Like I don't want Duncan Robinson on this team. I don't think he adds a whole lot to this team. One interesting name out there that somebody threw to me on Twitter is Jakob Portal. You know, he's been rumored. To be, to be available for San Antonio for a while. We have Drummond and we have Vooch, so I don't know. He doesn't really fit this roster right now, but if they were able to get rid of Vooch, Porto would have been, Porto would be an upgrade over Vooch. There were rumors the Bulls were targeting him this offseason before they got Drummond, and that would have been really interesting because, in my opinion, Porto's a better player than Vooch. He's cheaper, he's on a better contract, and I think he's just an overall better player. He's a better defender. He, uh, he doesn't get bullied. He's strong on the interior. He can make the three. He knows his role. He's not going to be out here jacking up a bunch of shots. He knows his role. He moves very well without the ball. Good off-ball defender. Good communicator. Um, so that would have been an interesting trade if the Bulls could have pulled it off in the offseason because I think eventually Porto would have ended up starting over Vooch and we would have seen how that would have gone down. But now, with the way the roster is constructed now, they would have to offload Vooch somewhere else first. I don't think San Antonio wants Vooch. He doesn't fit into their timeline or the way they play. And so I don't know what the trade package would look like Look like for a Jakob Porto. I'd assume it would be something around, you know, Patrick Williams and something else. Patrick Williams seems like the classic Popovich guy where Pop would just love a guy with his length and his versatility and uh, a distressed asset he could maybe get in there and turn his career around a little bit. So that's something maybe to keep an eye out looking forward. Um, he's been rumored to the Celtics as well and a couple other teams. He's going to be a hot commodity come trade deadline time because Jakob Porto is a very good big man in a league that there's not a whole lot of good big, big men out there who can stay on the court in crunch time. Another name to keep an eye out on, this guy, he's also been rumored to the Bulls for a couple years now. He's been rumored to be in trade discussions for a couple years now, and you think eventually the Hawks are going to pull the trade, but that would be John Collins. John Collins is intriguing to me because similar to Jeremy Grant, he could provide the Bulls with what they need out of the four position. You know, he's a big-time athlete. He is not the best defender in the world, but he's not the worst. He can shoot the ball. He can stretch the floor. The thing with him would just be he just got a new contract this offseason, so I'm not even sure when he's eligible to be traded. Um, looking at the salaries, the Bulls could cobble together something without giving up anybody like Caruso or any of the big pieces. They could cobble together something like Kobe, Pat, DJJ, and Tony Bradley. That would make the salaries work, and then they would probably have to throw in Portland's pick. And I would do that trade. I would do that trade in a heartbeat. John Collins is going to give them an upgrade at the four. You're moving on from Pat. You're moving on from DJJ. So you're getting a lot more minutes available at the four to John Collins. You still have Javante there to back him up. And it would make the Bulls much more potent on offense and much more athletic just overall. Now, would the Hawks do that trade? 
I don't know. The Hawks, they're an interesting team this year. You're seeing John Collins. His usage rate with them is at an all-time low. His numbers are at an all-time low. He doesn't really fit with this team, so I don't know if they're just going to be looking to offload him and maybe recoup a, a pick. Kobe White might be decent on them as a as a third guard. You know, they don't really have that backup point guard right now. They have Trey Young and DeJounte Murray splitting point guard duties. Um, but they're pretty much, you know, two point guards who are also filling in uh, minutes at the two-guard position. So Kobe White might be a nice third guard for them in that rotation, another offensive-minded guard in the mold of Trey Young. Um, DJJ is going to add them a little bit of little bit of length. Pat. He would be an interesting fit with them. They have a lot of interesting Patrick Williams-like players. You know, DeAndre Hunter hasn't quite lived up to expectations for them. A.J. Griffin has looked good as a rookie this year for them. Uh, who's the other kid? Jalen Johnson, he's looked improved in his second year. So seeing how Pat would would kind of mesh with that roster would be interesting. I don't know if Atlanta would pull the trade on that, but I think the first-round pick might entice them to as well as just freeing John Collins might free up Trey Young and DeJounte Murray get some more minutes for a Kongu. So I think that might actually be a realistic package the Bulls might be able to do. The last guy on my list is Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald is rumored to the Lakers, obviously, um, the, but he provides the Bulls exactly what they're looking for. They need a consistent shooter. They need a consistent shot creator. And Buddy Heald, you know, on the defensive end, he ain't half bad either. He's not a lockdown defender by any means. But he's not the world's worst defender either. Now that would be his his salary is very similar to John Collins. So it'd be the same type of package back. I think the Pacers would value Patrick Williams a lot more than the Hawks would, just because the Pacers don't have that type of player on their roster right now. And you look at some of the young pieces on their roster with Halliburton, Duarte, Matherin, Patrick Williams could slide in very well with that core. So it might be something the Bulls could could kick around and see if the Pacers would do it. I'm assuming the Pacers are just holding out hope that the Lakers are going to make their panic trade and offer them those 2027 and 2029 picks for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. But if that trade doesn't come to fruition, the Bulls might be able to sneak in there and grab Buddy Heald. Now, he doesn't fix any of their issues at the four position or any of their issues really on the defensive end, but he does fix their issues when it comes to shooting because the Bulls are really lacking three-point shooting this year, and Buddy Heald would come on the team and instantly be the best three-point shooter on the team. He'd be playing an off-the-bench role. He wouldn't be starting on this team, but this team is going to need a little bit more punch off the bench scoring-wise and a little bit more punch from the three-point line as well. So out of all the options that I just laid out, that's the one I'm probably leaning to is either Buddy Heald or the John Collins one. The John Collins one, he's going to fit in best with the starters right now. It's going to make the team a little bit more athletic. I just wonder if Atlanta would be willing to do something like that because they're kind of on a run this year. You know, they've built a pretty solid roster down there in Atlanta. John Collins does appear to be the odd man out of, out of all their guys. So it might be something the Bulls can look into. All I know is AK's got to be working the phone, man. AK and Mark Eversley. They better be working the phones night and day just trying to do something because it's very clear, especially after tonight, that this roster just ain't it. So I'm going to take just a little break here, and we'll come back. We'll wrap up this bullshit game we saw from the Bulls tonight. The Play Orange Podcast all Chicago Bulls all the time. All right, so let's dig into this game, guys. You know, coming in. 
The Pelicans didn't have Zion Williamson. I watched them last night against the Grizzlies, and I was watching that game. They also didn't have Zion in that game, and I was saying, this team is dangerous. You know, without Zion, this team kind of knows exactly who they are and exactly how they want to play, and that's scary. They have a lot of talent all over the place, so I knew the Bulls were going to be in trouble. I didn't know they were in this this much damn trouble, to be honest with you. Coming into the game, you know, the start of the game, Start of the game wasn't half bad. It was pretty neck and neck. We saw Patrick Williams. He made an early three. He's had an improved three-point shot this year. It's good to see him out there taking threes and making threes. We saw Zach Levine early on. He had that great reverse layup. He had another tough layup in that first quarter as well. It's good to see him attacking the rim. His legs appear to be getting a little more under him. And we saw Patrick Williams also playing physical defense on Brandon Ingram from the jump. I said before the game, Patrick Williams should log at least 35 minutes this game and be the primary defender on Brandon Ingram. And he got he only got 23 minutes in this game, which is kind of laughable. But Brandon Ingram, he didn't really get busy this game. He only finished with 16 points. He did have 9 assists. He's really improved in the playmaking department this year. And he only shot 4 of 15. And a big part of that was Patrick Williams' defense on him when he was playing him. You know, say what you want about Patrick Williams, but he is a good physical on-ball defender. He could do... He could do better off the ball. He definitely needs to learn that part of the defensive game, the rotations and everything. But on the ball, physical defender against a guy like Brandon Ingram, Patrick Williams is one of the better guys in the league at doing that. So other than that, though, there really weren't a lot of bright spots in that first quarter. The Pelicans, man, they were just, they came out on fire. They were they were nuts from three today. They finished with six threes in the first quarter. The Bulls were down 32-28 to 28 after one. It felt like it should have been worse because the Pelicans finished with six threes. Meanwhile, Zach Levine was 0-4 on three in the first quarter. Trey Murphy was going nuts. That kid couldn't miss this game. I was very impressed by him on the Pelicans' side. And then the Bulls just couldn't buy a bucket on their side from three. There just weren't a lot of shots dropping. The second quarter, we saw the Bulls come out. Mostly led by the bench unit. It's been that bench unit that's four bench guys and Zach Levine going out there. You know, Dragic, Drummond, uh, Javante Green, and I'm trying to think of who the other one was out there. Maybe it was Derek Jones Jr. and then Levine. I think that was the five at the start of the second quarter where the Bulls actually came out. They got a lead, you know, into that second quarter. They picked up the tempo. They were diving to the hoop. And then the starters came back in and they fucked it all up. The starters came back in, blew the lead. By halftime, it was already 58-53 Pelicans game after the Bulls had been up by five at one point early on in that second quarter. And it was just more Trey Murphy. He finished the first half, four or five from three. The kid could not miss. You saw him have his dunk on Vucevic as well. He's got a really versatile game. But the Bulls, defensively, I don't know what is going on with this team. On ball, their defense isn't half bad. On ball, Caruso is a good on ball defender. Io makes guys work for things. Patrick Williams, Javante Green, Derek Jones Jr. On ball, they are very good defensively. Off ball, they're a fucking nightmare this year. Off ball, they are allowing backdoor cut after backdoor cut. How many times did we see little Alvarado just backdoor cut, get to the hoop? Trey Murphy had a couple backdoor cuts. Herb Jones was getting to the hoop. Like, it was cut after cut after cut, just straight to the rim pretty much the entire game you know I've noticed it real bad in the second quarter and I thought it would be an adjustment that Billy would make at halftime and then we came up the third quarter and I remembered Billy Donovan doesn't make adjustments Billy Donovan just rolls with the team just rolls with the punches you know you never really see him get too animated I can't think of any big 
second half adjustments he's made this whole year. I'm not exactly sure what his coaching style is because coaching at this level is all about adjustments and he just does not make adjustments. But the Pelicans, man, they were just getting to the rim at will and it wasn't even off the dribble getting to the rim. It was just a lot of backdoor cuts, a lot of easy layups, a lot of easy assists. So we go into halftime, you know, it's 58-53. Pelicans finished on a little bit of run in that second quarter, but I'm still thinking, all right, third quarter, the Bulls are going to do something. Bulls are going to make an adjustment. And right away, I was like, no, the fuck, they're not. The Bulls in the third quarter. Third quarter Bulls is a real thing, guys. Third quarter Bulls might be one of the worst teams in the league. It's, it's embarrassing at this point. I don't understand how they keep coming out of halftime in a half where the game was closer than it should have been. The Bulls should have been down by way more than five. So you'd think you'd come out, you'd be a little pissed off. You'd be like, this team is kicking our ass. They're bullying us. They're getting to the rim at will. We're not getting the shots we want. You'd think they'd come out with a little bit of fire. But nope, they came out, gave up a 9-0 run right away. And it was just, it was all downhill from there. You know, that whole third quarter, DeMar DeRozan seemed like he was the only guy who really wanted to be out there. We saw Caruso hit some threes late in the third, but other than those two, nobody else was doing anything for the Chicago Bulls in that third quarter. And meanwhile, the the Pelicans couldn't miss. You know, it's easy not to miss when the team is like, how many times did we just sag off Trey Murphy and give him a wide open three? We couldn't have made it any easier for him. And it's a theme that we keep seeing in these games. Remember that Spurs game? We kept sagging off Keldon Johnson, giving him easy threes. We saw the Pacers earlier this year. Kept giving Buddy Heald easy threes. Um, against the Sixers, we kept giving P.J. Tucker his corner three, the only shot that dude knows how to make. Like, this is just a consistent theme with this team where I don't know if they're just not reading the scouting reports or they're just brain dead during these games, but the guys who who you can't sag off of, the guys you can't give any space to, the Bulls are consistently sagging off of them and giving them space. And then we act surprised when teams shoot damn near 50% from three against us. It's it's not the teams getting hot, it's the looks the Bulls are giving them. These are NBA professional basketball players. You give them wide open threes, they're going to shoot a very high percentage, and the Bulls give up more wide open threes than any other team in the NBA this year. Another thing that it seems, it seems like the Bulls do three things really poorly. So it seems like they give up the most open threes of any team in the league. It seems like they get called for more traveling violations than any other team in the league. Haven't seen anything like that. It felt like they got called for at least 10 in this game. And it seems like they have as many unforced turnovers as any team in the league. You know, it's it's insane how many times a game they turn the ball over. And it's something like when Patrick Williams got that big rebound and he threw the outlet to DeMar and it just went sailing past DeMar right out of bounds. Like, unforced turnover. Where the hell were you throwing that ball and that's a little bit on DeMar DeRozan. Like, why didn't you accelerate and try to get that ball? He just kind of watched it go by him. But the Bulls have those kind of turnovers at least five to ten times a game. And you watch other games. I'm watching the Suns and Warriors right now. You don't see those same level turnovers out of these teams. When you see turnovers out of these teams, it's a guy sliding in and taking a charge. It's a guy making a good defensive play, getting his hand on the ball. The Bulls have so many unforced turnovers every single game. And... It's a problem. It all goes back to the coaching, the lack of focus, the uh, the sloppiness of this team. Like that's all directly tied into coaching. So the Bulls, man, they got to do something because that third quarter was pathetic. They got outscored thirty-seven to twenty-five in that third quarter. You gave up thirty-seven points in one quarter. That's insane. That should never happen. 
And then the fourth quarter, you know, the Bulls were dead. I didn't understand what the hell was going on that whole fourth quarter. It was, there was a funny quote from Stacey King where the Bulls had cut the lead to 21. And he was like, oh, yeah, they're showing some sense of urgency now. And it's like, oh, sweet. It only took them being down 30 to show some sense of urgency. Pat him on the back for that, I guess. But it's it was a weird quarter because the Bulls were down 20 the entire quarter. And the starters stayed in. You know, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Vooch, they were in to like the minute mark. Dalen Terry got about 90 seconds of action in this game. I don't understand that at all. You know, I'm not sure if it's stat padding because, to be honest, it seemed like DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine in that fourth quarter, it seemed like they were stat padding, like they were just looking for their shot to try to put up numbers so that those of you that just pay attention to box scores and don't actually watch the game, which I'm finding out through Twitter, there's a lot of you motherfuckers out there who are like that, but... They were padding their sets that you guys who just watch box scores will look at the box score and be like, oh, they were good tonight. It doesn't fall on them. But, man, it's it was it was frustrating because this is a game where we should have seen about 10 minutes of Dale and Terry. There was no chance the Bulls were making a comeback in this game. And we got this kid on the bench in Dale and Terry. He's a first-round pick. We don't exactly know what he can bring to a real NBA game yet. We've seen him in the preseason. We saw him make an impact in the preseason. But comparing a preseason game to a regular season game is is ludicrous. It's not they're not remotely comparable. You see guys look like absolute future all-stars in the NBA in the NBA preseason and then they never get a bucket in the regular season. So it's hard to tell exactly what Dalen Terry is because we're not seeing him get these opportunities. And who knows, maybe he gets an extended stretch in a game like this where we're down big. Let's say we throw him in for 10 minutes. Maybe he shows something in those 10 minutes. Maybe he provides a little bit of a spark, and there's no way he could have let us back in this game, but maybe he plays his way into the rotation, and he brings a little bit of that energy that we're missing. We don't know if Dalen Terry can potentially be a fix to this roster because we haven't got to see him play yet, and that's another thing we can directly put on Billy Donovan. Like, why are you not playing this kid right now? Why are you why are you stat padding with DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic? two minutes left in a blowout game it doesn't make any sense I don't know what this team's direction is this year but you would think at some point he's got to try to play Dalen Terry and just see what he has in him because to be honest a lot of this roster is letting us down energy wise a lot of this roster they don't look ready to play so I don't know what the solution is going to be but that fourth quarter I really don't have much to say about it other than we should have saw a lot more Dalen Terry, and uh, I don't know why we saw Tony Bradley. I don't think Marco is up from the G League right now. I'm pretty sure they got him down in the G League, but I would call Marco up, get Bradley out of here, and just give Marco and Dalen Terry minutes in these blowout-type games so we can see if we have anything in them because truly we don't know right now. So the final score, you know, it doesn't look as bad as the actual game was. If you watch the game, final score is 124 uh, 110 Pelicans, but if you were watching this game, man, it might as well have been a 30-point blowout. It was pathetic, uh, pathetic energy on the defensive end, pathetic, pathetic uh, output on the offensive end, just an all-around truly pathetic game, and you really got to question where the Bulls' heads are at. How do you come out of a game like Denver where you you just get ran off the court? And I thought Stacey King put it really well in the pregame show when he said, you can't come out after a Denver loss like that and blame low energy and this and that when you got fans at home who they got to feed their families and they got days where they got low energy. Like that is the Bulls, man, the Bulls nation, we're blue-collar fans out here. It's really hard 
to tell someone like me where I'm up grinding at 4 a.m. every morning trying to grow my business and you're going to tell me you got low energy when you get paid millions of dollars to play a game. Like you guys are in, you guys, I'm not saying you have the easiest lives by any means. We all got our own struggles, but at the end of the day, you guys are living out dreams for millions of people out there. So the low energy excuse, it doesn't really fly. And it might fly if it's one game like the Denver game. But when you use that as an excuse coming out the Denver game, you know, you really saw Zach Levine hammering that point home. So when you use that as an excuse in the Denver game, and then we see you come out with the same low energy the next game, it's only natural for the fans, especially a blue-collar fan base like the Chicago Bulls have. It's only natural for them to look around and be like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, what is with you guys? Why can you not come out? And play with the fire, play with the intensity. Why do you not look like you want to play basketball right now? And I think that's a pretty fair criticism for the fans of this team to have. So it's really, it's really looking rough for Billy Donovan out here. I don't know what his relationship is with AK and Mark Eversley. I don't know if they're bonded at the hip, or I don't know if maybe we could see him get fired. I was trying to think if this could be a scenario where we fire him and we go on a little bit of a run after. So one team. I was looking at, as an example, if you guys remember, not last year because they were a super big disappointment last year, but the year before when they made their Eastern Conference Finals run, the Atlanta Hawks. So they started out that year. They had the pieces. You know, everybody was hyping up Trey Young, Clint Capella, John Collins. They made the Bogdanovich signing, um, the DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish. Like, they were a deep team. People were looking at them. To, to really make a run that year, especially coming into, I think that was Trey's second year. They were really looking for him to kind of come into his zone. And they came out the gates slow. They came out the gates very much like the Bulls are coming out the gates right now. What did they do? They fired their coach. They got Lloyd Pierce the hell out of there. They brought Nick McMillan was already on the bench. He's a seasoned, experienced coach. They brought him in. What do you know? They turned it around. Not only did they make the playoffs, they made a deep run into the Eastern Conference Finals. Look at the Chicago Bulls. Billy Donovan, you know, there's a clear disconnect. When you're seeing this low energy, when you're seeing guys come out of halftime and just give the game away like this, game after game after game, this is five in a row now where the Bulls have looked pretty pathetic. When you're seeing this, that's a disconnect between player and coach. That is the coach not getting through to the players anymore. The players look like they're tuning them out. You're seeing him get mad. You're seeing them get a little more animated, but you're not seeing any reactions out of the players when they're going to the sidelines. That's a sign that they are tuning out the coach. So you look at Billy Donovan. It's been a slow start. It's been a bad start. You know, he's underperforming. It's underwhelming. If they fire him, the interim coach would most likely be Mo Cheeks. Mo Cheeks, very similar to Nate McMillan. He's been around the NBA forever. You know, obviously as a Hall of Fame player with the Philadelphia 76ers, then he's had a couple of stints coaching as well. He's been to the playoffs. He's obviously never won a championship. He hasn't had a ton of playoff success, but he has navigated a team into the playoffs. He does know what it takes. He's been around the game forever. When he hasn't been a head coach, he's typically been an assistant coach for different organizations. So he's And he's known as a hard-nosed coach, very similar to Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan is known as a hard-nosed coach, not necessarily the dude you want long-term leading your team, but definitely a guy who you can you can turn the keys over to in a disappointing season, and he can kind of shock the team back into its potential. So 
The Bulls, man, I think they should really be looking at this. They really need to study. They need to talk to the players. They need to get DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, Vooch, all the guys in there. They need to get Dragic in there. He's been around the NBA forever. He's going to be able to tell you if the coach is getting through to the team or not. And if the team is tuning the coach out, there's no coming back from that. Once your team is tuning you out, it's not like you can press a magic button and get that back. It just doesn't work that way. Once they tune you out, it's over for you, dude. You better you better pack your bags and get on to the next one. So Maurice Cheeks, he's on the bench. He's a guy you could slide in as the interim and then do a bigger search and in the offseason for that long-term coaching prospect but he's a guy he's hard-nosed so you can kind of shock this team back into some winning ways so I don't know how much longer Billy Donovan has like I said I don't know if there's a situation where he's AK and Mark Eversley's guy or they'll look at this and they'll be like look this was our first time hiring a coach he did turn this thing around a little bit we got to the playoffs but it's very clear it ain't working anymore let's pack him up get him up out of here and let's start fresh this offseason let's Let's just turn it over to Mo Cheeks and see if he can kind of turn this thing around. If his, you know, hard-nosed, old-school style can maybe light a spark under this team, light a fire under their asses. So the Bulls, they got a lot of questions to answer going forward. We're coming back Friday. We got the Orlando Magic. I don't know if Paulo is going to play yet. He's been out a couple games with a sprained right ankle. The Magic got their ass whooped by the Minnesota Timberwolves this year. Minnesota Timberwolves might be the only team in the NBA besides the Chicago Bulls with worse body language than the Bulls. So that's a pretty good sign for the Bulls if the Wolves were able to whoop the Magic's ass. You would think the Bulls would be able to whoop the Magic's ass on Friday and maybe get back on track a little bit. You know, Wendell Carter Jr., you know he's going to have a little bit of a revenge game. I remember the couple times we played him last year, he really had that chip on his shoulder. You know they're going to see that again from him. Um, I would love to see Vooch get a chip on his shoulder. You know, Vooch, man, it was another game in my pregame preview. I said Vooch cannot get bullied by Jonas Valanciunas. And what do you know, Jonas Valanciunas made him look like like a middle schooler, made him look like a toddler out there. Like, he just ragdolled him and did whatever he wanted. I I floated it on Twitter. I was like, if AK called up the Pelicans tomorrow and said, hey, we'll give you Vooch for Valanciunas straight up, how hard would the Pelicans laugh before hanging that phone up? Like, I heard on the broadcast, Stacey King and Adam Amin, they were like, Vucevic is a better player than Valanciunas, but Valanciunas just understands his role better or something along those lines. And that's just flat out not true. Valanciunas is a better player than Vucevic. We don't we don't need to be in denial about that. So, and you know that he's a better player than him because if that call happened, the Pelicans would laugh for about five minutes and then they would hang the phone up and they'd be like, "Nah, we're good. You can keep Vooch over there." So, they'll be back on Friday. Vooch's old team maybe he has something to prove. We haven't really seen a chip on his shoulder before, but maybe we get lucky. That's definitely going to be a game where if the Bulls lose, you know. We're inching closer and closer to that to that panic button. So it's it's coming down to the wire here. The Bulls got to figure something out. You know, we're only a quarter of the way into the season, but these losses have a way of piling up, and the Bulls, they're just digging themselves a bigger ditch to try to get out of later in the season when it's going to be harder to get out of that ditch. So we're inching closer and closer to that breaking point. I hope the Bulls can turn it around. The talent is there on the roster. I just feel like the coaching isn't getting through to the talent right now. So you guys can find me on social media, Bloody Horns Podcast, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. Reach out, interact. Make sure you're not just listening to this podcast. You're subscribing to it. You're sharing it with your fellow Bulls fans. Like I said, we'll be back Friday against the Orlando Magic. 
Bloody Horns podcast out. Y'all take it easy out there.